it's like that that open democracy thing or something like they don't want to come places where their ideas are going to be challenged which means they really don't know the things they believe in to begin with if they've never been challenged like how, how well can you know them you know so it's like i think you just get people who feel they're right um and and are open to do any they, they feel they're justified in any behavior because they they think they're right you know and that, that's really sure. i think what we're dealing with for the most part but sure. it was really surreal i was, I was really strange it was too like two younger dudes in their early 20s that looked like they hadn't showered in three days. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> it was kind of trippy, but yeah. Um, uh, let me get back to, to GPT. And you, you yep. mentioned about Palantir's kind of um, uh, some of the initiatives that they have, at least I think Sankar mentioned a few quarters ago that they're releasing this is how we got talking right because Sankal's mentioned yep. a few quarters ago that they're releasing gpt with some of their products as some sort of experimental feature and i was yep. digging into this and i was realizing man this would totally revolutionize low code no code because like it's it, interesting i was thinking about this too so so prior to palantir you kind of had to be technical to produce value for an organization and then yep. palantir uh, was introduced in which you had these low code no code tools right um yep. and that democratized the ability to provide value for organizations via application development from anyone. You didn't That's have exactly to be right. technical. That's However, exactly. now- The, the citizen I've, engineer is what they, they kind of call sure. it. Yeah. However, yeah. now we're citizen entering another role. period, another period in which you're, you're kind of taking local local to a complete new level. Now you don't even have to be exactly. technical at all. You can just type something um, and produce value within Palantir. Can you tell us a bit about like, what is the uh, relationship there? What is the- the insight yeah so it's you're you're right on the money actually so it's the, the and the explanation you gave where it's like the low code no code uh web-based platform is it reduces the barrier to entry to where you don't need to be this technical expert working with a pre with this set of tools that has its own barrier to entry right so it's like and it's highly complicated right like and and platforms like say Databricks are absolutely not meant to solve that problem. They they are just a way to make it more efficient for technical people to work in those environments. But you still never really get away from um, having to run your own IDEs and having to um, like maintain your own stack and like so all of the complexity about keeping all of the moving pieces together and so they don't like fall apart and you get this big massive problem you got to deal with, like those platforms don't solve that problem whereas the low code no code does and foundry does so like all the complexities about keeping all the dependencies together so that you can write a data pipeline and you can like model something in the ontology and then, then build an app on top of it they manage all of that for you and not many companies do that that's not a real common thread there's, there's a handful of other platforms that operate in different areas not in palantir space but like Stackblitz is one um, with Stackblitz web containers. That was a really revolutionary way to simplify the IDE setup. They're still it's still mainly for software engineers though. Uh, there's serverless cloud, which really brings the barrier to entry down for building APIs. Uh, you know, and so that's another one where there's like it's kind of a low code, no code way to build an API. Uh, there's Vendia, which is another one that is really trying to reduce the barrier to, uh, to entry. They have their own sort of blockchain solution that they run. Mm -hmm. So there's like all these different uh, distributive systems. Uh, that, that's um, a company that basically uses idle compute at universities to do these really advanced research projects. But they were solving the problem where like research scientists at universities don't know how to use AWS and they don't want to learn. <laughs> you know, so like how do we how do we make it easy for them to just model this physics equation that they're working on, <laughs> see what the results are? And so they created this just simple way to do it in a web browser, right? So they're like so okay. like. There's all of these companies that are sort of circling around that problem of like, let's reduce 
complexity and, and Palantir did the best job in my opinion of doing that because it's really hard problem space that they're working in but then you're like okay here comes ai right so it's like not only can the ai help you learn the platform not only can the ai help you solve problems that you know for people who are training or onboarding but it can also be used to generate the code right and what when when that video dropped and you were talking i was actually working on the video that's supposed to drop tomorrow on how we would actually do this and so you all get spoilers here <laughs> just heads up anyone watching, <laughs> you all get spoiler spoiler setup so like in in there what you could actually do like just in the code repositories is we could bring codex in in into foundry inside the code repositories in their I, online ide and then you can just use the comment syntax to have the I, the uh, ai generate the code for you which is like freaking rocket fuel right like what i was doing in the video was was going from the open ai playground copying the code and bringing it into to, to to Foundry and then doing the same thing for my unit tests. But as soon as they incorporate Codex into the online ID, you just have to write the comments, like That's generate crazy. a pipeline that transforms what this JSON. <laughs> that is crazy. And it'll just spit it all out, you know, and like, there's no barrier <laughs> to entry on that. So like, I could literally be a citizen engineer who who went through a crash course on, on PySpark and how to work with Codex to test it and build it. And now all of a sudden you don't even need to like really know the language. like. I don't really know Python that well, but I have the benefit of like knowing a lot of other programming languages, but I could see how this could translate into something that citizen engineers could do. But then I started thinking like, okay, that's cool. It's it's still like probably better for, for out, like a better output for the, the software engineer that maybe doesn't know Python. And I was like, that's actually mm -hmm. really cool. Cause like my react engineers or people who program on the front end could do full stack. And I thought that was probably where the biggest push was gonna be is like, okay, on the code repository side, I don't need a data engineer and a front-end engineer to work in the app layer. I just get one front-end engineer, they're full stack, they can use this tool and they can build pipelines. And I'll set them up with best practice and boom, we're off and running, right? So like now all, my, all of a sudden my team's way more productive. They don't need to know all the, all the nuances and they just need to know how to test the answer and look for how the efficient the pipeline is. So that was really cool. And I was like, pipeline builder itself um is a visual tool but it has what's known as a dsl underneath it so a dsl is a domain specific programming language and a good way to think about that is like there are dsls written in json for amazon state machines and all they do is like take an input and produce an output and you can chain them together and do all these interesting things with it that's a lot like what pipeline builder has it has a dsl kind of like that but because it has a dsl you can take codex and you can train it on that programming language right so i can train it on the dsl but then because it understands natural language, I can literally have someone oh. write a statement like build me a data pipeline that translates my HANA for SAP data into blah, 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 blah. And it can literally go fucking do that for you. Right. Wow. So like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be insane. And that's like so, the kind of thing that the citizen engineers are going to love because the output will be this visual pipeline that they can then go in and drag and drop things around and, you know, maybe alter the answer the AI gave it. And then, but what's cool is it's got a feedback loop built in because you can hit the fucking build button and see, did it work, you know? And then you just keep iterating with the AI, you know, and they say, oh, I got this error or this didn't work because, and then, and then you can actually conversate and the AI remembers the context of how the conversation started. So it will know like, oh, I produced all this other output. Here's how I fix it. And, and I actually got into a lot of feedback loops like that with Codex where I would get an error and because we were in the same session, it would know how to alter the code that it had previously given me which is really cool. So I, I know that it can actually look at the, that, what it produced before, alter it to change it and alter it to change it again until you get the right, the right answer. Yeah. So, cool. so basically, so basically what you're saying is 
GPT-3 in Palantir can turn human language into pipeline logic. So 100%. you could say, you could yeah. say something like, uh, I think Sankar used the example of a hospital suite. He said, find me all the hospitals in which have um, available ICU beds in the yep. next three weeks. And this is translated into a pipeline within seconds. Yep. Um, and, and obviously, you can, obviously you can go, go so much more complex than that. But like, I mean, I, I don't know if they've done that. I don't want people to get, get their hopes sure, up or anything, sure, sure. but maybe I, 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 and that's, I know that's that that was said, but like, that's what I haven't Sankar seen said, it yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't, I haven't seen it, but like, um, when they show that it's going to fuck, people are just going to freak out, man. Um, right. So I was going to mention, Alex Karp said within his letter to, yep. uh, to shareholders that we're building the digital infrastructure that makes continued industrial progress in late, in late capitalism possible. Yep. I mean, that seems like that that's taking a whole new twist on Palantir because now you're not just speaking about solely organizations increasing their efficiency drastically. I, lo I love that phrase. Um, in fact, I don't know what he meant exactly by it, but the way I interpret it. So like something that I've been preaching for several years is that we need a way to cultivate human capital in the age of AI, which means that it's about um, the relationship humans will have to AI and how do we make them more productive, not less, you know? Mm -hmm. And and it's it's really important. And, and when you say late, like, I don't believe in late stage capitalism. I don't actually believe that that is a valid theory. Um, I think it's been disproven on every conceivable level, but that's a whole nother topic. But like, if if you if you were of that mindset, like you believe that like human, like the capitalist system is, going to falter because it displaces it concentrates wealth into the hands of too few and the, the wealth disparity means that a lot of people are going to be left out of the system there won't be any way for them to contribute or, or advance or achieve uh you know that that quote american dream because mm -hmm. it's just pushing more and more money into fewer and fewer hands like you need a way to make those people relevant right and the way you do that is through ai and you 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 cultivate their skills you cultivate that human capital through the symbiotic relationship between ai and humans that make them better and make the ai better right mm. and that's how you do that and that's what i took from it because that's how i see codex being used in in foundry where literally if an operator can just say import you know show me all the, the hospitals where there's this problem of inventory management you know or like the backlog is greater than this you know like you just start conversating that way and there's literally no technical barrier like dude that's going to be crazy you know um but that's an example of how you're cultivating human capital because you're taking someone as a human being who can empathize with other human beings to solve actual problems but they don't need to have the technical skills that might have kept them out of that feedback loop before they just need to be committed to the mission you know and i think that that's that Hopefully is what he meant, but I don't know. I mean, it's Alex Carp, you know. Yeah, man. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it did get it did get very philosophical towards the end of that letter. Um, yeah, I, I loved the letter though. Yeah, uh, yeah I loved it too. Oh, it was, it was really nice. Cool. Um, it was really cool. I, yeah, from my perspective, that was just an interesting kind of uh, acknowledgement that, that Palantir and Foundry could be fundamental towards the next stage of kind of industry 4.0, which is the kind of buzzword that is constantly thrown around when it comes to this next level of digitalization. And, yeah, I would uh, just look bigger than that, though. I think it's there's been an ongoing conversation about, like, what is the right relationship between human beings and AI? And mm -hmm. does it have to be they just, it's all doom and gloom? Or is it, there's another mode here, which is that humans can be made better in, in a sense, you know, and like, I think I think in my experiments I absolutely see how like it's it's just going to do nothing but improve yeah. every human's ability to to learn more 
to, to upskill themselves. I also think that when you talk about displacement workforce, workforce automation, there's the other side to that, which is like cost of goods coming down. You know, yeah. so it's like if, if everything is free, like, do you care if you're working, you know, driving a truck anymore? You know, so it's like there's this there's this other competing economics force that could drive cost of production down, which means you don't need to work as much, which would also be kind of cool. So, like, I mean, someone like me, I work all the time. I'll never fucking stop working. But like, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't want to do that, you know, and and maybe there's a whole nother part of the economy that emerges that's about shifting standards of value where people learn to value other things you know and maybe it's the things that differentiate people from artificial intelligence like if ai can produce poetry and ai can produce paintings and art like maybe people start valuing things that ai can't create you know or that mm -hmm. appear more human you know so like there's there's all these other things that can happen I mean, no one knows what's going to happen in, in in relation to that but i think that's really what he's referring to is like this whole revolution of how humans and ai are going to learn to live together and how that how that changes and that they that in a lot of ways they're cultivating human capital i see it right now in foundry like i see so many people who are not technical who are delivering huge business value man like billions in business wow. value on top of this platform yes they're doing it as a team but that's the whole point is like the whole org is working on this platform delivering value together shipping value together that's fucking huge man you know what is so the like, difference yeah this kind of ties into what you're saying. What is the difference between productivity and alpha? Because you have yeah. what I think is productivity enhancing tools such as Zoom, such as yeah. Snowflake, so on and so forth. But then you have alpha in which is Palantir. Yeah. And I think they're two different categories. Can you distinguish and maybe define the difference between both of them? No, not really. Um, I think, you know, with, with, with alpha, it's like, I, you know, there's a, there's a formal definition of alpha, but I really distill it down into like, you, you, sure. you know, something other people don't know, you have an advantage. You okay. Know? And, and I, I don't think that those are the same thing necessarily, but I guess it would depend on the context in which you're using that term. And then the other is like, in terms of you're asking, what's the difference between the alpha and the business value? Um, the business value is like the material is the usage of the alpha. <laughs> it's like, you're using that alpha to do something, right? Like it's like I need I need to ship more widgets, you know, and I have some advantage to help me ship more widgets. The business value is the shipping of the more widgets. That's the way I would think about that question. But okay. um, I don't really know like how you're using the term alpha because when I hear it, I think about it more in the context of like we we have a we have an insight that's unique, you know. Okay, no, I I can yeah. I can kind yeah. of coincide with that. Really.